Find somebody, tell them good morning.
You guys can be seated. We have a video. Imagine if an entire community could be transformed by a simple gift. When you pack a shoebox with Operation Christmas Child, you're packing more than just a gift. You're sending love to children in need all across the world. With each gift given in Jesus' name and fueled by the power of prayer, a teddy bear becomes a friend, a letter, an inspiration, school supplies, an opportunity. And as children hear the good news of Jesus Christ, God's love touches their hearts, churches are formed, and entire communities hear the gospel. And it all begins with your simple gift. The kids are playing, are laughing, joyful. It's like a whole world to them. Because for the first time, they have received this precious gift. Using a shoebox gift so that we can tell them about the greatest gift of all, and that is God's Son, Jesus Christ. Just this year, 11 million shoebox gifts are being distributed to children in over 100 countries worldwide. Some of these kids have never received gifts before in their life, and they are able to receive gifts here today. The message through the box is not only the toys that makes them smile. The message here is that Jesus loves them. It's a Millions of kids right now are getting shoeboxes all around the world, and we couldn't have done it without the strength and the support of all the volunteers. People from all around the globe are excited to pack shoebox gifts. This is a great tradition. Every year we get to do this with our family and to be able to give back to children around the world that we don't even know. We've never even met them before. It's just an awesome way to show the love of Jesus. Toothbrush, school supplies, toys. We just show it. <laughs> it's a joy to work with them. They're helping OCC to take the gospel literally to millions of children. They receive a box and also an invitation to come back and learn more about Christ. We follow up and we ask them if they want to be a part of the greatest journey. The first four lessons give them a chance to know God as their personal savior, as their friend, as their redeemer. După ce am primit, am primit acest cadou, am participat la lecțiile cea mai minat călătorie, după care am început să predau eu aceste lecții altor copii cea mai minat călătorie. Pentru că ele pot schimba viața unor copii, cum au schimbat-o și pe a mea. After completing the greatest journey, students take part in a graduation ceremony where they receive a certificate and a Bible in their own language. It's more than a box. It's church planting. It's community transformation. We are making disciples to go out and disciple others. So it started with a box, and it's ending with communities and countries being changed. 
The Great Commission, we're to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're doing with the Operation Christmas Child. We're doing every bit of that. ceases to amaze me how a simple box can change the world for a child. It's real. It's not a story, it's real. It's actually happening. It was a drop of love. To them it became a huge ocean. Thousands will be impacted by just one gift. People have asked me, Franklin, did you ever imagine that it would be this big? I can tell you right now, no. It's something God has done, and I give God the glory. Every shoebox is important. Every shoebox touches a child's life. You see, I want the children of the world to know that God loves them, that he hasn't forgotten them, he hasn't turned his back on them. So many live in poverty, so many live in war areas, and all they have seen is just despair. I want them to know there's hope, and that hope is found in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what Operation Christmas Child is all about, is about making Christ known to the children of the world. Thank you. We need your help. God bless. I love those videos. I have been on several uh, distributions, and I got to tell you, every one is just like you saw. I mean, the kids are excited. The gospel's presented. They're invited back for discipleship. And just what they said in the video, churches are planted. This is a phenomenal ministry. And uh, it's easy for you to do. It, uh, it, in your worship guide, it's a how to, we, we inserted a how to pack a shoebox gift. And, and look, this is not just a Christmas thing for these kids. In fact, most of them are actually distrib distribute whatever. Um, they're given out, not at Christmas time, but at other times of the year, and, uh, and the gospel is presented. It, it, this is, look, it's, it's just a great way uh, to present the gospel globally. Um, you know, this week in the United States, um, everybody's anxious. No matter who you're voting for, there's so much. We feel like we cannot help as, as people to think that the, the, the salvation of our country or our world or not is the United States of America. And uh, therefore, the way that we think, the way that our government is set up, we really believe that, that it hinges upon our impact on the globe, hinges upon who is in the office. And I've got news for you. It does affect our comfort. It does affect our nation. But the message of Jesus Christ, that is, that is the answer to the world's problems. It is not stronger military. It is not a wall. It is Jesus Christ. Uh, the guy who runs this for Franklin Graham... Uh, came to serve with them quite a few years ago, and, and when we went down to Panama on the distribution, uh, we got to hear from him. And he was talking to us about the fact that the reason he got into this, this is kind of cool, pay attention to this. The reason he got into this is because he was reading in the scriptures that when every tongue has heard the message of Jesus Christ, we can go home. Um, and uh, that's kind of selfish, but man, that's motivation. You know, there is another answer to the world's problems in the election this week. It's not just voting. It's going home. And that will solve this problem. So let's get the message out there so we can our, our, get our tasks done so we can go home. It's, it's going to happen. It's, 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 it's going to happen. 
And this is a way to do that. Please be involved. There are two ways you can be involved in Carpenter's Way, and, and you can be involved in both if you're willing. Uh, one is to pack a shoebox with your family. Uh, if it's difficult financially for you to do that, that's okay. Don't do it then. But this is a wonderful way. Uh, you pack a shoebox. It costs $7 to ship each shoebox. If you can't afford that, don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, you go to the dollar store. You can get these. We, we've got boxes out here. You can get a plastic box. It needs to be the size of a shoebox, or that box will be repacked, just so you know. If, you, if you're feeling ex exceptionally generous and you want to do... I don't know, maybe a truck full of gifts. That's great, but they will remove it from the truck and put it in other boxes. So that's how this works. Uh, and also there are things you can't send global. Uh, these, the Samaritan's Purse has a kind relationship with most governments in the world, including in the Middle East, and they go through every box to make sure that, uh, that everything's legal that goes there. Having said that, let me also say that you don't want to tape them closed, you just want to put a rubber band, but all those instructions are in here. So that's one way to be involved. The second way to be involved is starting next Monday, a week from tomorrow, we are, um, <clears throat> we are the regional hub for all of the shoebox collection. So in each city or in each community, there is a church that people will be taking shoeboxes to. Uh, then those groups will be bringing those uh, crated boxes here, and then we will put them in trucks. We, that's for one week from Monday to Monday. They'll, it'll be uh, one full week. We will pack them into semis the following Monday, and then they will go to Dallas where they will be looked at. Every box is looked at, and then they're distributed globally uh, and so please be involved in that. Even if you can't pick up a box and put it in a truck like myself because I have a bad back, there are lots of things you can do. You can, uh, you can help record boxes. Uh, everything is tracked very, very carefully. So be involved. As you leave here this morning, there's still places to sign up. We especially need strong back people on the Monday, uh, the 21st. Uh, and, and so if you are able... Uh, please sign up and help us. We can use your help. We will have a forklift here to help us do some of the work, but boy, we need people. So uh, again, at the table out there, you can pick up small uh, shoe boxes. You can pick. Uh, you can sign up to help serve. Like I said, it doesn't matter your physical condition. There are things that you can do. But this is a phenomenal ministry and and a great. We're, we're privileged to be involved with it. Lots and lots of work. We there will be at least two semi trailers here that we will fill, and maybe a third this year. So we're very very excited. And uh, Carpenter's Way is pivotal in that, so, so please be involved in that. If you have any questions, Robert, did I leave anything out? All right. If you have any questions, you can talk to Robert. Robert, as you know, is our pastor of missions and uh, can answer all those questions. So a couple other things. We've got lots of business stuff going on. Next Sunday night at 5 o'clock is our, is our church business meeting. Uh, you'll notice in our worship guide, there's a white sheet. For those of you who are members of Carpenter's Way, we have an annual business meeting. We vote um, uh, on uh, our church officers. Uh, you'll notice that there are two deacon um, teams that we have that we're uh, nominating, that people have been nominated for. Uh, for finance team, it's Trent Cook and Connie Rhodes. Uh, and for mission investments, it's, it's Letney Head and Jared Pig. And then uh, also elder, Mark Strong has been nominated again uh, for elder. These are not one or the other. It is a yes or no. And uh, at that meeting, we won't be entertaining questions about these individuals. You've had a week already. You have another week. If you have some concerns or questions about them, please call me or talk to one of the elders. We are available to you on that, but we're here to build folks up, not tear them down. So if you have questions or concerns, please address those to us. As far as the rest of the things going on at this meeting, our, our budget, uh, you will notice as you leave, uh, if you're a member of Carpenter's Way, on a, the round table out there is a, our, our budget for 2017. Uh, you can peruse that. Uh, we ask that you just take one for family and read through that. We'll be voting yes or no on that. If you have questions, you can talk to Jim Haley, or you can talk to myself or Jeff or Alicia. Uh, and we can answer those questions for you re retaining to the budget. Um, 
although we, that night, uh, if you have questions, you can ask that at the meeting. Um, and then the second, uh, the other issue is we do have a constitutional amendment this year. I, I described it a little bit last, uh, last week. Basically, uh, our, our Constitution at present has what's called an indemnification clause. That basically covers our church officers and our, our lay leadership. You know, if you're teaching a Sunday school class and something happens, a kid gets hurt, uh, it, it keeps you from getting sued. The problem with our original was it covered you for everything. If you, and, and we're changing that this year. Our insurance, uh, we've been talking with them, and uh, as long as you don't hurt somebody, you're covered. If you willingly hurt somebody, you won't be covered, and that's a constitutional change we needed to make to, to maintain our insurance. If you have any questions, please talk to me. But on, in your budget, as you go out and take a budget, if you turn to the last page, it will have the old statement and the new. And uh, it really isn't that big a change. It's just that if you actually knock a kid down, step on them, and then sit on them, and they have a bruise, the church is not responsible for that. Any questions about that? In other words, if you're an idiot, you're responsible for being an idiot, bless your heart. Okay, so if you have any questions, please address those to us. Uh, again, if you have questions about the constitutional amendment change, you know, at that meeting, I'll ask if there's any questions or uh, about the budget. We'll do the best we can to answer those. But we do give two weeks because we want all those questions done. Uh, usually the meeting lasts about 10 minutes, um, which is just about right. Uh, again, ask your questions ahead of time. Uh, so uh, that's next Sunday night, 5 o'clock, uh, for that meeting. Tonight there's a meeting. Uh, as you know, we've last couple, has it been two summers, Jeremy, or just one so far? So this past summer we had a mission team to, uh, to Guatemala go, and we're going to have another one this summer. And if you look in your worship guide, uh, top of the middle page, there is a, uh, a, a team planning meeting, an informational meeting. If you are interested, even have an inkling of wanting to do a short-term mission trip, uh, there are two planned for the summer. One is to Brazil. One is to Guatemala. If you're interested at all in checking out what the Guatemala trip is like tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock? 11 o'clock tonight. Um, 11 o'clock this morning, right here in the worship center. Uh, why don't you guys meet over here? Right over here, uh, they'll answer your questions. Is, is it a long meeting, short meeting? Just a few minutes. But Jeremy uh, leads that trip. Their family has gone the last three years. It is a phenomenal mission opportunity. But this is a way for you to get information how much it, about what it's going to cost. So even if you're not signing up, you're just getting information. So uh, how many spaces do you actually have left for that trip? So there's 20 spaces for that trip available, and they go pretty fast. So uh, please, anyway, hang out in here, and then you can go to your Bible study after that. Um, I think that pretty much does it for most of the announcements that I want to make this morning. I'm going to ask our, our ushers to come forward at this time. Uh, there is TNT this week, information in the worship guide about that. I already mentioned the annual business meeting and Operation Christmas Child. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention is starting this morning through December 11th, uh, GPS, that is our, uh, our worship for children. Uh, that usually is K through third grade. Uh, starting this morning, it's going to be K through fifth grade, and the reason is is they're going to be learning some music for our family Christmas this year. And so, uh, if your if if your child is uh, is in the fifth grade or younger, uh, they can go out and learn that music if you'd like them to participate in our family Christmas. Alicia Bond, anything else about that I need to mention? Okay, all right, you can go back to sleep. I understand you got like three hours of sleep the other night. She has three teenage kids all going in different directions, and her and Jeff are very grumpy. Don't don't push them. Uh, anyway, I, I, think, I think that does it for that. So let's pray, and as we go to take our offering, if you are visiting with us, we ask you not to give. This is for those who attend here regularly. This is uh, We support our budget, which goes for our mission work, 
and then taking care of uh, uh, responsibilities here on campus. And, and uh, we have 10,000 missionaries we're involved with globally, and then about 15 others on top of that that we support as a family, and, and that's what this goes for. If you're visiting a Carpenter's Way, we do not want you distracted by money. We're just glad you're here. And our hope and our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus. We want you to like us, but we want you to love Jesus. So thanks for being here. Just pass the plate as it comes by and don't take anything out. So <laughs> that, that's funny right there. I've made that joke about every Sunday forever. So let's pray. God, we love you, and we're thankful that you love us. Thank you that we can gather together this morning and enjoy you and sing some songs about your goodness and your faithfulness to us and getting your word in First Thessalonians this morning. And I ask that you would... Uh, you would bless us and that you would speak to us. And Father, I know there's folks watching on the internet right now and uh, a lot of hunters this morning that are out there. And uh, we pray you'd keep our guys safe and our women safe as they're out there doing their thing and uh, as we're in here. And God, would you just speak to us today and, and uh, let your Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. And if somebody today doesn't know that, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Uh, so Lord, as we turn this uh, back over to you, we ask that you would guide and direct and uh, the songs that are sung, the words of those songs, and the message I'm going to preach. Uh, Lord, we just pray that as the word of men fade away, we pray that the word of God will endure forever, that you would train, change lives through, through your Holy Spirit and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of this grace, He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life.
uncertainty of maybe the direction of our country. God, I ask, Lord, that you would um, that you'd remind us to turn our eyes to you. God, that you'd remind us that you're not going to be surprised by what happens. God, that you remind us that you're still in control. You're still God. You're still the King of kings. You're still the Lord of lords. And you still reign upon your throne. God, I ask that you would just make that real to us, that you remind us as we sing through this song, as we hear your word open this morning, as we go into this week, God, that our eyes would be turned to you. God, that we would just turn to you and know, God, that you've got this.
that was just about enough. That is our future. Our future is not found in the party of Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. It's temporary, man. It's temporary. And if you're like me, you've been watching the news or reading the newspaper, and it gets overwhelming. You're just going, are you kidding me? This is it. This is the best we got. And the answer is no. It's not the best we got. The best we got is Jesus Christ. And we forget that as a church. This is where we come together and remind each other that it is okay. It's okay. That's what the world is supposed to be like. That's what it's supposed to be like. And we lose our hope and our joy when we put our hope and our joy in them. Put your hope and joy in him. Jesus Christ, our job as a believers is absolutely to bless this culture as much as we can. And we do that by voting and we do that by getting to know our neighbors and we do that by, by blessing people where we go. But we ultimately do that by living out our faith and introducing them to our daddy who is the king of kings, who is worthy of all. Man, if that song, I mean, that song just moves me every time. I can picture what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ stands up on the throne and says, the old order of things has been done away with. And that is our future. That is our future and our hope. Put your hope in Him. Why so downcast, church? Put your hope in God. Why so downcast? Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Um, as, as we go through Thessalonians together in this series that I've entitled, It's Personal, Not Business, you just realize and, and we all have different opinions of Paul depend on, depending on how you learned of him and, and how much you've studied of Paul. There's a tendency to believe, and Paul even says this, you know, you think I'm, I'm, I'm much kinder in person than I am in my letters, he says in one of his writings. But we have a tendency to think that Paul is unfeeling and uncom uncompassionate. And yet when you look at this text that we're in this morning and where we have been, you begin to realize that he absolutely loves these believers in Thessalonica. I mean, he loves them. Um, they were not only his spiritual children, but they were also a real encouragement to them. Church, the body of Christ, this thing that we do was not supposed to be one way, uh, elders and leaders to people. It, it's supposed to be a community of God's kids where we come together and we sing holy, 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 and we remind each other, what an awesome, we need to sing that all week in your heart. Sing it. Sing it. Remember that he is God. Remember that he's the king and he's not just God and the king. He is your daddy. We're going to have those shirts made. Who's your daddy? Jesus Christ. Who's your daddy? Such a great thing. He's your dad. He loved these people because in all of the difficulty of his ministry and life, they encouraged him by their lives. He'd actually go from place to place on his mission adventures, and, and he would hear from others what was happening among the believers in Thessalonica, their faithfulness. And, and I, just a side note, I know some of you, we have a lot of retired pastors here, people who've been in the ministry and youth ministry. If you're not one of those people, you don't realize just, <clears throat> just how, unless you stand here this, in this place of a shepherd, you can't grasp how much a part of us you are. You are a part of us. We feel, uh, we feel your pain. Not like in a, in, a, in a Bill Clinton sort of 1980s way. But we feel it. We care about you. We love you. It's, it's difficult because not only do we celebrate your victories, we participate also in your, in your births, in the deaths of the members of your family. We celebrate rebirth, the salvation, the baptisms, 
We celebrate when your kids come to Christ with you. We participate in discipling with you. We get all of those victories. But we also watch as some of our, our, our families fall apart because of bad decisions made. And some of you give up because you're discouraged or afraid or when you get sick and you just question. This, is, this isn't business. It's personal. From a congregational point of view, you know how personal it is. Look how we treat pastors that fall in sin. We run them off. Why? Because they've disappointed us. There's such deep pain, and we don't know how to deal with that. For whatever reason, the church hasn't geared herself up to actually help shepherds who fall, which we do every day, mend back into where they need to be. We're, we're just so ready to be disappointed and angry, and if somebody falls, we throw them out. Why? Because it's personal. It's personal too much in the wrong way. One of my favorite pastors once described the most difficult part of ministry as watching a slow train wreck as people's willful choices destroy their lives. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can talk to them and plead with them, but they just keep slowly smashing the metal against each other. But I also want to add that the most wonderful part of pastoring is see pe seeing people grow in their knowledge and love for their daddy. That is amazing. To sit up front and listen to you just sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty gives me chills down my spine to hear you, to hear stories of you sharing Christ in this community. I go to get my hair done, and people ask, so who are you? Well, I'm Mark Wilkie. What do you do? I'm a pastor. What church? Oh, some church on Frank. Carpenter's Way. Oh, I know people in your church. They're kind. We have a person that our family knows pretty well that we've been inviting to Carpenter's Way so, uh, for, for years. And the reason she won't visit is because you're too friendly. So knock that off. People come in and they're, they're faced with something. Most of the conversations I have with people who visit are, are experience a real uh, genuine affection and love for God. Um, we've had some in the last couple of years say, man, this is, this is different than anything I've experienced. This is personal here. And, and let me be real. This is extremely personal. That's why a lot of us have walked away from the past because what, what it became was a religious thing, a get-out-of-hell thing, a, a, a be-right thing, and now it's a I've-been-made-right thing. Now I want to get to know the one who made me right. The conversation has changed. And if it hasn't in your heart, don't settle for religion. Don't settle for Christianity when you can have adoption. This is personal. No matter where you stand on the sign gifts or wherever you stand on predestination, I assure you that the God of the universe sent His Son to die on the cross for your sin and because He wants you in ways you can't possibly fathom. He wants to dine with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to know He loves you. And He's proud of you because of what He's doing in you. And I am so sorry that the church gets in the way so often. I'm sorry for our angry rhetoric. I'm sorry for our unforgiving nature. The church's standards for people are higher than God's standards. And I want you to know that God loves you. And I'm not even talking to the lost person right now. I'm talking to the believer. He loves you. He loves you. Listen to what Paul says about these people, though, in 1 Timothy. That would be a totally different message. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you continuously. These people encourage him. 
As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work and your loving deeds and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it wasn't only with word, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell, you, tell them about it. For they keep telling about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how, how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Man, I love the personal nature of this. It's so personal. What Paul is actually saying here is we go to do mission work all over the globe, especially in Macedonia and Achaia. And when we go there, we start by saying, I want to tell you how God has changed real lives, real Roman lives. I want to tell you how normal Romans who have, who have worshipped multiple gods are saved. And they go, oh, are you talking about the believers in Thessalonica? We already know about that. In fact, they've come here to tell us what it was like to hear the gospel from you for the first time. And Paul, you just get a sense, goes, wow. Because I've got news for you. Most of the letters he writes aren't like that. There's something special going on in this church. The church of Corinth is a mess. They're selfish and they're, they're taking Scripture to to validate their own sinfulness, which is happening in the church today. Let me be clear about some things. Sin will always be sin, but God will always love the sinner. If you are a glutton here this morning, you are no less loved than the homosexual. But the truth is, gluttony and homosexuality and selfishness, no matter what the government says or even people in the church say, will always be sin. It will always be sin. One is not worse than the other in God's eyes. One will affect your flesh differently. But the fact is that now we've gone the opposite way and we're starting to say, well, maybe God can grade on a curve a little bit. You know, it's all about love. It's not about love. It's about God. It's about His righteousness and His holiness. It's about Him pouring out His attribute of mercy and justice on humanity. And those who realize they need mercy and run to Him, He gives mercy. But you can't just say, take me as I am or don't take me at all. Actually, you can say that. And the church is starting to endorse that message. And I want to be clear. It is if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Wow, Mark sounds like a Baptist. I thought you were a grace guy. I am a grace guy. You have not outsinned His grace, whether you are a murderer, an adulterer, or a Baptist. You have not outsinned His grace. On the other hand, if you don't think you need it, you won't get it. If you show up on Christmas morning to your parents' house and there's a Christmas present under the tree for you and you choose not to open it, you don't get to enjoy what's inside. It's the same with grace. It's there for you, but you've got to realize you need it first. Oh, that's that repentance thing. You don't talk about that. I talk about it all the time. You're just not listening. I just don't want you to live in it. There's a time for the weeping and gnashing, but when that time is over, we rejoice in God's grace. It may be the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom, but it is the joy of the Lord that's our strength. And it's difficult because we live in a time and a place where we, we want the message to be so loving, and it is loving. You're not going to get what you deserve, but it isn't loving to watch people poison themselves and pretend like it isn't poison. There's a balance there. 
And the church in the past hasn't balanced it well. We like to talk about the poison and not the grace, or we like to talk about the grace and not the poison, but truth, the truth is found in both. The truth is found in both. And it's hard. And there will be a cost. And whether we lose this election as you see it or the next one, it will get more difficult and this will become more precious. Why? Because we're a family. This is the one place we can go and be with people of like mind and like heart and go, man, did I have a crappy week. I want to say I'm sorry for saying crap. Julie uses it in our home all the time. And it just, <laughs> that is so not true. She's always saying, you're going to say that from the pulpit. <laughs> Oops. Listen, it's supposed to be tough out there. That's our mission field, but it's supposed to be refreshing in here. Why is it supposed to be refreshing? Not because we go, oh, I'm sorry your life is so hard, but because we can go, boy, I know how difficult that is. It's a battle, isn't it? It's going to be okay. Because holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and forever will be. Because of who He is, it will be okay. And Paul is blessed by these people. He's saying, man, you're ministering to me everywhere I go, I hear. And if you don't think that that's what he's saying, look at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Look what he says to them. After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when He returns? It's you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. <laughs> That's personal. That's personal. And it's not something he can say about every church. He can't say that about Corinth. He can't even actually say it about Ephesus. He can say it about Thessalonica. And I get it. I get what he's saying. Because Pastoring isn't merely an office you hold and a responsibility you fulfill or, or an, a, something you do behind a pulpit. It's personal, and they affected Paul personally. They were his pride and joy because they encouraged him by how they lived. And I feel that so much. I, I, uh, I get, I get uh, letters once in a while. I don't know how much to tell. You know what? I'll just tell you. I get letters now and then from churches who are interested in pastors, and I look really good on the Internet. Look at me. I got a, I got a jacket on. And periodically, I, I get, I get a, a letter, you know, hey, and, and a lot of them are, hey, do you know anybody interested, hint, hint, or are you, would you be interested, you know, you've been there a long time. And I look at those letters, and, and Julie and I were just recently talking about a couple of them that I received, and I just, you know, every once in a while she looks at me and says, do you ever think about it? And the answer is no. What, what more can I have than a church that's hungry for truth? You bless me because you are hungry for truth. And I know that as a pastor, I'm not eloquent, and I know that I say things like crap when I think of Julie, and, I, and I, when she's, you know, she causes that. You know what? I'm going to have to go to marriage. <laughs> she goes. Thank <laughs> Well, it's been great being your pastor. We're going to be, <laughs> that's not what I meant, and you knew it. If Trump fails, I can take his place. <laughs> the, the fact is, I, 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 know, I know that in many ways, I'm not what you're used to and what you grew up with, but you're daring and risking enough to listen to what we're doing in Scripture together. I know that for some of you, it's your last chance. You're like, I'm done. So let's get into the Word. I, I'm with you. I, I don't make enough money to be wrong on this, honestly. There was a period of time in my life when I said, you know, something, something's wrong with this message or the attitude of the message. And I re-looked at Scripture. And I looked in the mirror and I realized that I was playing a game. 
that there was a lot of sin in my life that I was covering up, and, and I found hope and grace, even as a child of God, and I've been changed by that. When I came to Carpenter's Way, one of the things that we decided to, hi, honey, sorry about that, Jules. I'll buy you lunch, hon. We're going to go out to Cracker Barrel for lunch, honey. But I, I really, I decided when I came to Carpenter's Way that I wasn't going to preach anymore. I was going to share my heart from verse by verse and what I'm learning about God. And I want that for you. No matter who wins this week, I just have a sense, just like you, that things are going to get a little bit more difficult. And I just want you to know that we'll do this together until we can't do it together anymore. Because this isn't about public opinion. It's about God. And it's about inviting as many people as possible with us into the family. And even if they don't go with us, we will go together. It's such a privilege because I know many of you are living this out there. I hear about it. I don't know if you're aware, but Larry Brevard, one of our pastors, he's got constant contact with Muslims because they own a lot of gas stations, and he's a gas checker. I have another name for it, but I won't use it from the pulpit, or I'll be apologizing for everything else I've ever done. <laughs> the fact is that you guys are out there. You're doing the deal, and you're walking with God, and He has put you in a mission field. And most of you have decided that you're going to live for Jesus, no turning back. And I don't mean that like a pastor going, good job. I mean, you really have bought in, and I am so honored to watch you. You spur me on. You spur me on. It, it ministers to me. I love you. I wanted to take this morning, and I wanted to stop, and I wanted to say, I have no interest in going anywhere else for less than a million five. Everybody can be bought and ask forgiveness. Come on. I'll take you with me for a million five. But the fact is, you guys, I have no interest in going because I have fallen in love with you. Now, don't get me wrong. You drive me crazy sometimes, and I drive you crazy, but I am so honored to be in this family. And it isn't just because you're cute. And you eat too much greased food, okay? And there's not enough good vegetables in East Texas. Having said all that, I see your walk with God, and I see your hunger for the Lord, and I know that even if you struggle, most of you want to walk with Him, and that makes me want to be better. It spurs me on. I get what Paul's saying personally because I feel it. I feel it. Listening to you sing this morning, when I know that many of you are scared or difficulty, it spurs me on. I almost wanted to tackle the worship team to get up here to preach this morning. And then I thought, man, what they're doing is more powerful than what I can do today. I just want you to know that this is really, really precious to me, just like it was to Paul. And I hope it's precious to you as well. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we looked at this last week. Look at, look at what he writes about. Look at why he's proud of them, what was going on in their lives. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. And he said that, and I told you last week, because it looked like it was a failure from human point of view. You know how badly we had been treated in Philippi just before we came to you and how much we, we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare good news to you boldly in spite of the opposition. So you can see we were uh, not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to, to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. For God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we never sought it from you or 
Anyone else? As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you, but instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. Don't you remember, brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You you yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Ministry has its hard moments and seasons, and if our focus is not right, you can easily get discouraged. It's easy. Paul wants them to know not only is he proud of them and thankful for them, but he wants them to know that he is sincere as he ministers to them. They can look back on how he came because people are starting to say he's in it for his own agenda. As Paul rebukes people and Paul deals with sin and Paul toes the line on how a person is saved, people hated that about him. And they made people in the church start questioning his motivation. And so he writes chapter 2, 1 through 11 to defend his motivation of how they ministered. It's hard. And if we don't maintain our focus, which is clear in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. In other words, God sent us to you. It wasn't just the Blues Brothers. It was Paul. Paul was the first Blues Brothers. He was on a mission from God to the Thessalonians. He came to them. But our purpose actually was to please God, not people. We didn't come to turn you on. We didn't come to excite you. We didn't come to make a religion. We came to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. If we remember that God is not only our Savior and our Daddy, but also the focus of our ministry and our task, if our core value is to please Him and not men, then we are not easily swayed by the the wind of culture. And I just want to warn you, as we keep going through this study, we're eventually going to get to First and Second Timothy, because what we're talking about here actually isn't just Thessalonians, it's actually about family, the family of God. And we're, part of that is going to be the leadership of the family of God, First and Second Timothy. And part of that is what is the message of the leadership. And one of the things that is supposed to be the message of the leadership is we don't sway by the winds of culture. We look at where we're effective, we look at where we're not effective, we try to be as effective as possible, but we cannot violate the truth of the Scriptures, no matter how much we want to. uh, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, but he went anyway, eventually, as he was forced, and he preached God's message, unwavering of the truth, and the people repented. The truth is, the world hates our message. The world thinks we're the problem. They think we're haters. In time, they will associate evangelical, biblical evangelical Christians with jihadists, right-wing radical haters, and we're not. But we can't, it is not love to let people poison themselves without telling them that there is an antidote. And I am this morning talking about the homosexual issue. There are those among us, not in Carpenter's Way, but in the church in general, that want us to say, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Just so you know, it's as bad as gluttony and jealousy and gossip and rebellion against parents and murder and lying and and hypocrisy. It is what it is. It's not worse, but it's not better. And we can't tolerate a certain sin because culture says we're haters. It is better for us to die with the message of truth. God redeems sinners of which you are one, than it is to say, well, maybe you're not that bad of a sinner. We're all in trouble without grace. We are actually worse than we think. Even if you're not a homosexual or an adulterer or a murderer, you're probably in worse shape because you think you're that good. The truth is we are all born under the wrath of God. And despite his wrath, he sent his son to die. He said, I would rather kill my son than kill you. So I'm going to kill him. That's what Christmas is about. 
about sending his son for 33 years so that he could walk among us and say, hey, my dad loves you. My dad wants a relationship with you. And most people walked away. You know why they walked away? Because they didn't want a relationship with God. They wanted health care. They wanted food. They wanted Judaism. They wanted uh, a, a nation. They didn't want to be ruled by Rome. And they said, well, religion, our Jewish religion's got that. And Jesus said, no, I, I, didn't come, I didn't come to fix it this time, not the nation. This time I came to fix your souls. And because of that, they killed him. Remember Palm Sunday? Be our king. Five days later, kill that guy. We have no king but Caesar. Why? Because we like his health care plan better. You don't think that's political. You need to reread it. The Scripture's problems are always about racism and political agendas, and Jesus Christ came to transcend all that. He came to transcend that and say, it doesn't work. What works is grace, mercy, forgiveness. And if you come to me, I will give you all of that and an inheritance. I don't, I, I don't believe it's that free. Then die in your sins. I don't like the message of that. Then go to hell. That's your choice. Well, that's kind of harsh. It's the truth. Okay. It's me throwing a tantrum. Our country's going broke. To pretend we're not going broke and add more programs doesn't solve the problem. We're still going broke. Remember Thelma and Louise? It was a beautiful view of the Grand Canyon. It's just the landing that was a problem. Some of you are like, I never saw that movie. Don't watch it. I just saw the end. They die. Oh, he ruined the movie. It's not that great of a movie anyway. Walk with God. Tell the truth. Live the truth. Because even Paul, in all of his greatness, and he's who we study theologically in the New Testament a lot, was still hated for the truth. But that's why they were so encouraging to him. Because they, they bought in and their lives were changed. Their lives were changed. You see, as we've seen through the study of this letter so far, this was not ever about growing a religious movement or convincing people that, that, that we're right and they're wrong. We do what we do because we have been adopted into God's family, and our daddy has given us each other as a specific task within the family business of making the kingdom come on earth as it has been and is being done in heaven. Remember that prayer? Our job is to make the kingdom come on earth, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not the kingdom of Israel, but his kingdom is all of his will. And how do we do that? By realizing that once you're saved, hell isn't the issue, and it's more than that now. It's living out our daily lives, task-oriented, missional. I want to bring people with me. Let's get them on the God train. Forget the Trump train. Get them on the God train. It's to invite people into the kingdom. I love to win. And I love for my win to be recognized, but my win is not necessarily how God sees win. Ask John the baptizer who was killed for speaking truth to a king. Ask Stephen, who simply taught Saturday school. <laughs> or Joseph, who was unjustly thrown into jail. Or Jesus, who was arrested, beaten, and killed on trumped-up fake charges. That's what happens sometimes if you surrender yourself to God's will. We are to set a purpose each day as an opportunity to live out our task as His ambassadors in this life with the goal of pleasing Him. That should be our goal, pleasing our Daddy. 
So steady on, family. Steady on. Steady on. You can do that no matter what the world thinks, no matter what happens to a church's tax-exempt status, no matter what, the, what, the, what, what people are saying out there. You as an individual don't need to worry about what the evangelical church's message is or the Southern Baptist. You can walk with God. You can steady on in your own life. Men, you can lead your families. Ladies, you can spiritually lead your families. You can walk with God. Teenager who don't have spiritual parents, you can walk with God, no matter what anybody else thinks. Steady on, friends. Steady on. Because this isn't a corporate calling, it's an individual calling that when we decide to do together becomes corporate. When we decide as individuals to walk with God and we do it together, it becomes a corporate calling of the church and it becomes a blessing of a society and community. But ministry isn't the only area of our lives where living to please God should be our goal. Paul actually talks about it a lot in the New Testament. And as I was studying this week... I've often wondered what it would be like after Paul comes into a town, you know, because sometimes he would come in and he would, he would obviously do ministry and people would get saved. Hundreds would get saved, if not more. And, and he would stay for two years. And when he stayed, he had a message for the church. He would go from evangelist missionary to discipler. He would plant a church. He would find them a pastor and he would disciple them. And, you know, it's interesting to ask ourselves or to think for me as a pastor, I wonder what his pastoral ministry is. But actually, we're told what it is in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. Look at this verse. He actually tells us or he tells them what he said to them over his two years with them. We pleaded with you encouraged you and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. That was Paul's pastoral ministry. There you have it. As a pastor, after they were adopted, after hell was no longer an issue, he pleaded with them, he encouraged them, and he urged them to live their lives in a way that God would consider worthy. That pleased him. What's interesting about this message is it isn't just there that we see it. It's all over the New Testament. For instance, he said this to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, again pleading, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable, a living and holy sacrifice. So now that you're saved, is what he's saying, now that you're adopted, now that you're his children, now that you stand before him pure and holy, I beg of you, give your bodies to Him. Go fully in. Invest 100% in Him. Make them a living sacrifice. He didn't just say it here, but He said it to the Philippian believers in Philippi. Verse, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 27. Above all, now that you're saved, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven as opposed to what? Citizens of Rome. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. In other words, these very proud Roman citizens were struggling with their Roman citizenship. We need a better Rome. And, and Paul is writing to them saying, look, above all else, make sure that it's your God citizenship that you value more. Boy, does that sound timely for today. Our goal as his children should not be to make America great again. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-Trump here this morning. I'm anti-both and for both, whatever you want me to be politically. Our goal should not be to make America great again. Our goal should introduce people to Jesus Christ. And if in doing that, we can make America great, fantastic. And just so you know, when I leave the pulpit, I'm as nervous as you are about the election because I'm a very comfortable, lazy person. But if, if things turn, if things... 
get weirder. Our task, our mission doesn't change. We've we got to keep our reality here. If all of this becomes outlawed, see you Sunday. Well, what if they arrest us? They always start with the associate pastor. What are you, what are you laughing at? That's, that's not true. The, the fact is, we can't stop. Remember when Peter and John were taken before the council in Acts chapter 4, and, and the council said, stop preaching about Jesus. And they said, you know, even if we told you today we would, we can't help ourselves. That's what this is about, not religion. It's about being transformed, overflowing with joy and praise and hope. Worthy is the Lamb of what? Of everything, of death, of martyrdom, of prison, of loss of self or loss of image, of having a smaller church for the sake of truth. He's worthy of all that. Worthy is the Lord God Almighty. That's our Daddy. He's worthy of that. Dear brothers and sisters, chapter 3 of Philippians, he goes on to explain it in 17 to 21. Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again, with tears in my eyes. You think Paul's not emotional? It's not personal? He's crying as he writes this. There, uh, that there are many who conduct shows that are really enemies of the cross, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven. There it is again. Same message, different text. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we, eager, we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which... Uh, he will bring everything under his control. There's a story, and I told this years ago, but it's, it's a picture, and, and, and it's, it's not as much a story as a picture. There, there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a story of a neighborhood, just an old traditional neighborhood, like a leave-it-to-beaver neighborhood, and where a little boy, a, a, a solo child in a home, had a mom and dad. And he would run home from school each day, and he would do his homework as quickly as possible, and he'd eat his snack because he wanted to go over to the neighbor's house right next door as quickly as he could. And he would go over and he would knock on the door because he loved being in that home. His own mom and dad were kind of absent. They weren't very attentive to him. And when he walked in the home, there was just a smell of joy in the home. And there were kids his age. And so he would go over and knock on the door, and mom would come to the door. Mrs. Johnson would call her, and Mrs. Johnson would say, Little Billy, how are you today? I'm good, Mrs. Johnson. Can I come in? And she would say, Certainly. And she would open the screen door, and then we would come, and he would play with her children. And she would feed him a snack, and sometimes he would stay for dinner. But later in the day, she would say, Billy, it's time for you to go home, sweetheart, to your own home. Well, one day, Billy's mom and dad died. That's not the point. Don't lose your heart. But they died. And when he found out that they died, he was told immediately that his mom and dad had made arrangements with the Johnson family that they would adopt him and that he would become part of their family. And so at the funeral and after the funeral, they hugged on him and they said, Billy, you're now part of our family. And they explained what that meant. And they talked about adoption. Well, weeks and months went by and he, he moved in with them and he lived with them and school started up again. So he went back to school one day, and at the end of that school day, he walked home like he always had a thousand times. And he walked down that street, and he walked by his old house, but he walked towards his new house. But when he got to the front door of his new house, you know what he did? He knocked on the door. Mrs. Johnson came to the door and said, Billy, what are you doing? And she goes, Mrs. Johnson, I'm knocking. Can I come in? And she took open the door, and she came in, and they sat down in the living room, and she explained that he was no longer living next door, that this was his house, and he didn't have to knock anymore. 
that he had been living there for a few months, and it was now time for him to start acting like part of the family, not like a guest. Do I need to explain that to you? Too many times we're still acting like a guest in this family. I assure you, you are not a guest. You are the mission plan. We were left here not to hang out until death. We were left here to live the family values. And too many of us keep walking into our old house. We keep knocking at the front door. You are the plan. And you know what we do in the church? We blame it on pastors. If pastors were more prophetic today, the church would be in better shape. I assure you the church wouldn't be in better shape if we were more pathetic. <laughs> we, it wouldn't be better. The problem is we have to agree together to all do what what first Thess the Thessalonian church did and Paul did. I'm going to come and minister. As a minister, I'm going to minister truth to you no matter what your reaction is because I'm here on a mission from God to serve the Lord and I'm here to please Him. And you have to decide as the church that you are here not to please popular, not to have people write about you wonderfully on Facebook, but to live for the King no matter what the world thinks of you. And if we do that, we can have a relationship like the Thessalonians and the, Phil the Philippians. <laughs> Sorry, not... I've got this totally messed up. But the Thessalonians and the Thessalonians and Paul had this incredible relationship with each other and God because all of them had decided to invest themselves in kingdom work. If we keep talking about us, if we keep talking about the world, if we keep talking about hell, if we talk about everything but our Father, we will never grow close. Do you remember that old marriage illustration, the triangle? Many of us who grew up in the church saw it. And the, and the idea is God's at the top, and then your husband and wife are at the bottom, and you've got the triangle. And the, and the picture is, if both of you, you know, if you get closer to the Lord, you get closer to God. Remember that image? Or if you haven't, kind of picture it. The problem is that there's a line at the bottom between the husband and wife. That line shouldn't be there. Here's the bottom line. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, and I keep my eyes on Jesus, and the person next to you keeps their eyes on Jesus, if you focus on the Lord, if you walk worthy of your calling, guess what? We can't help but love each other like Paul in this church. We can't help. But what we do is we try to have church planting ideas. And I, you know what we need? We're going to have a church reconciliation plan. The only reconciliation a church needs is to surrender their selfish rights about what color the walls are or what kind of music we play or what the lights look like and surrender them to the Lord and walk with Him regardless what we think of the lights or the music and everything else. Then all of a sudden as we walk with Him, guess what will happen? We will love each other because we need each other. Even in the church, we've made it about our whims. Well, I just, who cares what you just? When you got saved, God did not go to the, the Father didn't sit, sit next to the Son and go, well, I sure hope they're happy in the, in the church. <laughs> oh, gosh, what will we do if they don't like it? What matters in the church is the message. And out of the message grows love as we surrender to the Holy Spirit. We need each other as never before. Our adoption demands that we move out of our old home and into our new home, embracing our new family. Let me be clear. Paul in these passages are telling, encouraging, even begging the children of God to walk past their old house, their old life, and its trappings, not for religious region, reasons, but because they have been adopted into a new family, to embrace that new family and live it out. It wasn't just in Philippians. It's also in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at this long text. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. 
For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. He's going to explain what that looks like. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for all the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all, living through all. Is there a theme there? One. We act like there's 32. Just to be clear, there is one God of Carpenter's Way and First Assembly of God. We can pretend there's more, but there's one. They believe in salvation through faith in Christ alone, and so do we. That makes us family. Well, they have different view on the, on the, the sign gifts. Let Dad take care of them. But I'm right. You don't know you're right. You hope you're right. What we do know is Dad's got this under control. Well, I don't like how God's running his universe. <laughs> well, when he asks you, you can share that with him. It's a little bit like Fox News. I tune in, I listen, I freak out, and then I realize nobody calls me and asks me for my opinion. They just want me to be controlled by their view. God wants me to submit to him as my dad. And that's what I agreed to when I joined this family. Is it not? Make me your dad. Oh, what's that verse? Um, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth. Uh, what's that line? Jesus is Lord? Is that what that says? What? I don't know what that means. What we need to do is do a Greek study on the word Lord. Or do we? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, it's pretty clear to me. You're God, I'm not. I may not be okay with it, but I'm sure going to live under that rule. It's what we do. It's what you did with your daddy. In some of your case, I've met your mother or with your mom. <laughs> some of your moms are more scary than your dad in East Texas, just so you know. There's a, <laughs> there's a line you don't cross, you know what I mean? There's a line you don't cross. Well, I don't understand. And when your parent, there's, a, there's something about an East Texas mama that's more powerful than an East Texas daddy. You can push her and push her and push her, but there's a look in the grocery store at Walmart in aisle number seven. When that little kid five feet behind is pushing and pushing, he's got his hand full of candy, and then he pushes that one too many times, and you know the look. She turns around and she looks at him, and not only does he wet himself, but he drops everything right there. God really does have this. I am the Lord, says God. Be still, David, and know that I'm God, as opposed to you. I'm king of kings and Lord of lords. Worthy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. Even the disciples struggled with this. He kept breaking up crowds. Nobody was responsible for splitting the church more than Jesus Christ. Every time he had a big crowd, they'd run off because something he taught. And the disciples had a problem with it. And so they'd go up to Jesus, and Jesus would look at him and say, you got something you want to say? Well, they're all leaving. And Jesus basically asked Peter one day, are you going to follow the crowd? No. Why not, Peter? Well, who else offers eternal life? Right answer. Then shut up and follow. Well, I don't like that plan. It's a better plan. It's a better plan. Do you really have the answer to America's ale? I mean, Seriously. With Christians, the answer is uh, set up a moral kingdom where gays are killed or outlawed, and we treat people an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We rebuild the Old Testament law, which if you could step out of Christendom for a moment, is a lot like Sharia law. Is that really what we want? And that's my question to some of these pastors is, 
Okay, so let's say we outlaw homosexuality. What are you going to do with them? When you catch them. Or abortion doctors, you're going to kill them all. Somebody on Ted Cruz's team last year said, yeah, I disagree with that. I want to share Christ with them. This isn't, this isn't Israel. This is a fallen nation full of fallen people. They need Jesus. Unless we don't believe Jesus is the answer anymore. But I know you do. So live it. Walk worthy of that message. I want to finish this in, in verse 7 of Ephesians 4. However, He has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the Scriptures say, when He ascended to the heights, He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to people. Notice that it says He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended into our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all in the heavens so that He might fill the entire universe with Himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing more and more in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Stop acting like the world. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from, uh, far from life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you heard about Jesus, stick with me, it's almost done. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let, uh, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on you while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, knock it off. I love this. Sounds just like every Sunday. Stop stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so your words are an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, okay, for those of you who think you can lose your salvation, this next verse is a real problem for that. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He's identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. In other words, you have a choice. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by your life and live miserably or, and hurt Hurt the feelings of the Holy Spirit who promises you eternal life, or you can actually surrender to Him and be used by Him. I mean, that's basically what He's talking about. How is that for eternal security? And, and this, is, this, is what it, uh, this is what it would have been like to sit under Paul's teaching. Sounds a lot like church to me. Sounds a lot like verse-by-verse -verse New Testament teaching. You are called to accept Christ to forgive you from your sins, and you are guaranteed an eternal inheritance because of that. But once you're saved, you are now invited to stop knocking at the front door, but move in. Live like the family. Surrender control of your life to Him. And it isn't just there. 1 Peter chapter 2, I don't have time to read it all, but it says the same thing. 
At the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. It's personal, friends. It's personal. This isn't about a religion. It's personal. And if we want to be, have a love relationship as a church, if we want to run from being a business, a church business, a Christian business, and we want to be the family like you have between Paul and the church of Thessalonica, it's going to take every one of us in this room deciding to live a life worthy of our calling. That's our task. If you don't, we will never be that dream. We won't. First Thessalonians 2, 11 to 16. Let me finish this section. You know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Therefore, we never stopped thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think they were words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God. In other words, you did it. You listened, you surrendered, and you've been changed because of it. It is the word of God. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers of God in God's churches in Judea, who because of their belief in Christ suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They failed to please God and work against all humanity as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sin. But the anger of God is caught up with them at last. I'm almost done. Verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy? What will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns? you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. All that to say this. We have a choice to make. I'm way out of time, so I'm going to have to summarize. In Bible study, you'll go over some more scriptures I have. But it's not the pastors and the elders that dictate the spiritual health of a church or even the loving relationship between members of the flock and the leadership, and God, that's up to you. What you do with this, now that you're saved, determines how serious Carpenter's Way is about the kingdom. And I think this is a timely message because my gut tells me it's not going to get better. It would be better for us to surrender why it's easier. So we're prepared for when it's not. We need each other. I love serving with you. I know you love Jesus. Love him more. Go deeper. It's not enough. Keep going. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? I'll do it. Talk to him. I want more, Jesus. Show me. Show me where I hold back. Show me what I need. Show me what you want from me. Show me my mission. See if there be any wicked way in me. Search my heart. Walk with him. Dear Lord, 
Thank you for our task. Thank you for the tools you've given us to succeed, the Holy Spirit, your word, and each other. And the churches I have been a part of in my life are pretty good at the word, and they're pretty good at doctrine and understanding you, but like Ephesus, we don't love you as much as we did when we first got saved. We loved your truth, we loved the church, but we forgot to personally talk with you and be directed and led by you. Father, I, I want us as a church, as a local body, I want us to be like Thessalonica. But to do that, my family here is going to have to believe that the things that are taught in the Scriptures aren't just men's writing, but they're actually the very words of God, and they're going to have to embrace them, get into them, and live under their guidance. I get paid to do that. These people work on diesel engines and teach school and have children. They're so busy. So I ask, Father, that rather than just a, a mental decision to get into Your Word and pray more, the longing of their soul would be to spend time with their daddy. Change us, Father, from the inside out. Make us like Peter and John who said we can't even help ourselves but spend time with our King. God, give us a desire for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in five minutes. Have a great Sunday.